This is the Restless Election Special. Welcome back to Restless. It's me, Matt, your host here on the show, joined by Pastor Michael Bowman. Pastor Michael, how are you doing this election day? Well, um, we're recording this beforehand, but I assume since it is election day, when you're listening to this, that I will have voted. I will have done my civic duty for the day. I plan to do that in the morning. Um, Lord willing, that will have already taken place. So no, I may even, well, I won't. I was going to say, I may even have one of the stickers that says I voted, but I won't because I never take that. So Now, Pastor Michael, I don't want you to sell our audience short that this is like just some thing we've had sitting on a shelf. Like this is the night before. We are we are doing this as, as close to live as we can. That's right. Um, now, I and if you want us I, to live stream the election results, <laughs> just kidding. Like everyone, we're else, not going to do like that. Every like every show stream and whatever else that would They'd be pretty man. funny if we did it. Like if we just <laughs> would be if really we just turned it into a thing in the middle of, you know, just everything else we do, we jump in and we share our thoughts about whether or not Pennsylvania is going to go red or blue. <laughs> now what I realized as I was welcoming people to election day, I realized like, no, what we actually should be doing and we're not going to, maybe we will for future and future elections is we should actually just talk about the doctrine of election and really just full on Calvinist. That Jupiter. would be so good. Why don't we do so, that? That would, that's a great idea. That, that is our future plan that just came to me right now. And we didn't think of, but, <laughs> but I did want us to give people something to, hear something to listen to while they waited in line uh depending on where you are could be a long line uh for your for your voting and basically where i'm at is i heard this interview uh man the guy's name i cannot pronounce you can find this guy online and i just think he said something very interesting uh for us as we think about uh the American elections and, and, and things. And again, specifically from the angle we're interested in from a Protestant and Christian, right? Like, again, this is not a, we're not, we aren't about to talk about what direction these elections are going to go or though, apparently things are going to go so red, even the moon is following. So I guess, I guess we have a pretty, the, I just heard today, like maybe an hour ago, somebody called this, uh, the, the mega moon because it's red <laughs> oh man that's great. i thought that was that, pretty fun i did i mean i sent you when uh, when i saw that there was going to be a blood moon on election oh, day technically i was like i don't know what to do with that <laughs> dude, <laughs> so, dude the the like hardcore dispensational like charismatic prophet people they are probably going to be doing an election oh, it's live their stream. Day. like it's their this day is, this is why like man it's a huge bummer that john Hagee blew his blood moon stuff already like i'm sure that he just was like you know what i was a little bit off on my yeah. calculations and actually it's now i'm sure that's going on i have not looked it up but i'm sure he's doing that uh but i remember you know what two three years ago when he was you know doing his big blood moons thing man you missed your shot you got to hold on to those things you know you really got to hold on to them 
And so I think one of the things, obviously, our friends at the Gospel Coalition and other places, they keep writing pieces about what to do in our current stream of politics. And so like our new Calvinist betters, we are going to sound off on that because we know you love to. But this is always a reminder for everyone that what we actually think you should do is you should return to the scriptures and especially the documents the church has put out on these things as the place for a place to work from. And so I would say Pastor Michael and I collected all of the statements on the civil government from the Reformed Confessions in our short, cheap ebook, The Deacon of God, which you can get on Kindle. And yeah, I just think that, or just look at the look at the Protestant confessions, look at whichever one you are a part of and start from there. Uh, and I think this is a better place to start because I think we are, there are two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the, what the, what the state of things are, um, mean for the church. And then I want to talk about even the, a little bit about the, the importance or lack of importance of just like civil society around us. So the guy, the interview I listened to, Pastor Michael, you would really, I think this is the kind of guy you would enjoy listening to. Not sure all of our listeners would. Very long interview. The guy talked about all kinds of different things. He's His book is called The Network State, but he talked about Bitcoin. He's kind of got all these kinds of different ideas. Um, But I just heard one thing he said that I felt like explained um, a number of things about how we see things and a lot of the discomfort. So his name is Balaji Cernavasan. Sorry, <laughs> it's a really difficult name to pronounce. Um, Would love to have you on the you show, can, but uh, love to have you on the you show. Know, we you don't know very, how to say your name. You'd be very interested. So if anyone wants to find who this guy is, you can look up the network state, and I think it'll bring you to his Twitter website, whatever. And again, I don't, I don't really, I'm not a recommending he's not a christian i'm not recommend like i'm not saying any of his ideas are good um um but i think his analysis is interesting and so obviously i'm not here to say well we're so polarized right that you know it's just such a just such a basic suburban person take at this point to talk about that but what but what he noted is he said what we actually probably are seeing happening is sociology becomes biology in one generation. And so what he's saying is that the sociological polarization, right? The, you know, and you can cite statistics, right? Like 20 years ago, 50% of people were married to someone who sometimes voted for a different party, which is weird. Um, You know, you know, and he cites all these differences that you can see. But he says over time, you know, and them going to different schools, right, whatever, all these differences that that occurred that have kind of divided these people. And he said, what we now have is two nations living in one place, one land mass. So we have two. Na- he's saying we have two nations. And again, he is he really he is the kind of guy that's like. I'm just giving analysis like he's not interested in if this is good or bad, right? He's one of those kinds of people, which, you know, again, makes him interesting. It doesn't make him unbiased, right? All those people like to say, I have no bias as I say this, but of course, you know, they have some, but what he really said that made me 
find this very interesting is he said, maybe a more helpful way to describe it is what we are seeing form are two different ethnicities living under one state. Hmm. And he's saying that this sociological differences and this kind of reshuffling and moving people in places is literally forming two and he uses the term ethnicity obviously to be provocative basically saying like two very distinct cultural identities value identity right all the things that we associate with you know ethnic identities from around the world obviously he's not talking about skin color just that's clear and he's like and we're now living under one state and and here's what i found interesting about that i thought it was very interesting in that when people argue across these political lines um you know obviously people get called bigots or racists for making political like not arguments about someone's race but political arguments mm-hmm. but i think what they're I think if this guy's right, what they're responding to is the feeling of actually this, they're attacking our cultural ethnic identity. But what I thought was even more striking was this, if he's right, and these are two ethnicities forming, this begins to make sense why there is such a large group of people saying we have to have a church that is not associated with any one of these political parties Hmm. because the feeling that there's this realization and and why we need churches that have people who do this and do that it vote democrat and republican because it's a feeling of like the of ethnic like of the actual things we talk about with the different ethnic uh you know christ and being lord of all nations the church being for all nations in all nations and it, you know, and there being a unity there. So my two questions for you is this, is he, do you think this is, do you think this is good analysis? And if so, what does it mean for the church and our, the, the ministry of the gospel in this place mm. here? What do you, what do you, yeah. that, that's really, that was really what I thought about when I, when i listen to this guy talking not so much like what does that mean for the state you know all again valid question he has a specific very uh very kind of fringe answer probably we will have other people come talk to us about classical uh protestant political theology people want answers but but we're going to stick to our lane here um and we'll at least for today you know because the line isn't that long for voting, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to think on this for a while. I, it strikes me as close to right, uh, but not quite, not quite true. Um, mm. I think it's actually much more complicated than that. We have the breakdown of our one nation into these you know, kind of as he's, again, as he's describing it, kind of emergent uh, ethnicities, these two new ethnicities that are being formed. Maybe a year or two ago, I read a book by Colin Woodard called American Nations, uh, which (laughs) is 
uh, what he calls he calls it a history of the eleven rival regions uh, or regional cultures rather of North America. So a history of the eleven rival regional cultures of North America, and he traces and this it it's not just the United States. He includes parts of Mexico as well mm-hmm. as parts of Canada, um, and so he's talking about the whole of North America. But he traces the different um, cultures and how they formed in these various places. And this too, I, you know, he even begins in his introduction, he talks about how he, you know, he's basing his research off another guy who, you know, in turn would have said there was, you know, maybe nine of these specific cultures that have developed within North America. But in reading that book, one of the things that I was struck by was how wild of an experiment America is. And I know it's, mm. I don't know, it's a little passe to call it an experiment. Uh, but okay. in the sense that this this was a place and is a place where you've had a massive convergence of people from radically different places, different backgrounds, different worldviews, different cultures completely. Um, and that includes religious background. And they've all been thrown in together, often within states or within other other smaller localities as if they are one right as if mm-hmm. they are just one and so it is in a sense set for trouble from the beginning sure. we're on we were on this course from the very beginning and i think that that is true and so i think that what this guy is seeing is probably in part the the next stage of that Right. The mm-hmm. next stage of that inevitable clash of cultures. Now, at different times, it seems and I don't know how true this is, but from my very limited point of view, not being a historian, but an interested student in history, it seems that America has has done better and worse over time of of, you know, uh, trying to. Bring some of these different cultures together. Right. There are obvious cases of failure. There are also cases of of times when it seems like people were able to. Come together in a way where their identity does change to something new uh, and that is more cohesive. I think I mean, I'm I'm in Wisconsin. We're in Wisconsin. Just thinking about the history of German-Americans and the conflict that arose, especially in World War One and then followed by World War Two and that is an example of where you have these very different cultural groups that are in many ways at odds with each other but over time for in various ways some good some not good they seem to mesh in some way and, and become one because that really is not a right the conflicts over german americans in the midwest during World War One. that's not an issue today, right? These are not things right. that, that we would consider any kind of issue. So all that is to say that there's something to what he's saying. Um, I think it's pretty simplistic. It sounds pretty simplistic to me, right? Yeah. To divide it up as just these two groups. I think that things are much more messy. And so when we, you know, to bring it then into the second part of that question, what does that mean for the church? and the ministry of the gospel. I'm not certain. Um, This is something we've talked about before. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast or not. I think I've brought this up, but, you know, I've had questions 
as far as how does how do we have a single denomination that can span the entire United States well and remain somewhat unified in mission? I'm not certain that that's possible long term. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, but it, it seems to me that you know me and somebody in in New York City versus someone in the Deep South, we're in very different places. The, the way that we communicate, um, the way that we operate is going to look different. And although there may be certain things that we can be unified around, right? Just because we, you know, there's a different denomination doesn't mean that we don't have some kind of fraternal relationship. I have thought before, is it possible long-term, I'm talking, you know, 100, 200 and on plus years, is it possible for us to remain together in an understanding way and just to work together, to operate together? Because as a as a denomination, you have to have some kind of unified mission, some kind of unified means of accomplishing that mission. Um, and I'm not certain that that is possible. I'm not certain it's not. But it seems to me really hard to do that in our context in a way that um, though though there are analogies elsewhere, um, it there are particular difficulties to our time because of all of these different cultures just being thrown together. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think that so um, you have brought it up. So our longtime listeners, I would love if our listeners. Uh, you're getting a bunch idea. of feedback or whatever again. Ah. <laughs> it's happening again. You have mentioned this, this idea of denominations um, and, and your questioning of this possibility. So longtime listeners will have heard you posit. I would love for them to actually interact with it. I'd love to hear what people think about this idea. I think actually to many people, it would sound very radical. And here's why, because I think we we in the United States have a fairly simplistic view of what a nation is because we all share the same language. And so we think of, well, maybe there would be a, maybe what you're saying would make sense if we spoke, there were those of us who spoke French and there were those of us who spoke, you know, uh, Swahili, right? Maybe then it wouldn't make sense to have a denominational share. And I think that the question becomes, are there are there other factors that we need to, to put in mind? Because, for example, none of us question the wisdom of the Chinese-American Presbyterian denomination. Or like at least that they, even in if they're in a denomination, they kind of have their own association, a part of it. And it's not because they're not brothers in Christ. It's not because right. of any of any lack of desire for relation it's just there is there god has made us different and that yep. that is actually a good thing it's not a bad thing that we're different it's actually a good thing for the difference right. that we've made and i think the other thing that makes it difficult in the united states to to think it on this in this way is that we all still, at least for now, share the same state. Yep. We are still all in the right United States federal government. And I think that makes 
it seemed like, well, if the if our if our civil government is shared and there isn't a language barrier, right? What are you talking about? Right. I think that's what kind of makes it sound like a fairly radical proposition. Yeah. And I get that. And and again, I'm not saying that it can't work. Um, and I'm hopeful that this can work. Um, yeah. It just seems to me that this is bringing up that same tension of how radically different. Now, the issue wouldn't go away, right? If say, right. let's say that all of a sudden we begin to think of every state within the union as its own nation, right? It, it's mm. its own nation, its own uh, state, capital S state. And right. the, you know, there is no more federal government that, you know, is, is in charge of everyone else. Um, so we, you know, we become the lowercase U United capital S states of America. If that were to happen, it, it wouldn't change the question really, because you still have these pretty radical differences um, between these two groups, these two emerging ethnicities as this, you know, guy uh, <laughs> has posited. And so it, it doesn't solve that dilemma. And I'm not certain uh, what to think about that. Um, so I think that the typical go-to, hey, there's no like room for being politically partisan in the church. We've all seen how that has been abused. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's totally fine. Vote for whoever you want, except we're at a point when like that's not that's not an option, right? That might have been I, an option at one point. And, and I do think that um, obviously this guy isn't using any moral calculus with how he yes. says things. I do think even when we call these things emerging nations, I don't think that perspective necessarily leaves out morals. Because I think if you look at even uh, in the Reformation when there are Protestant and Catholic nations and and you know, all and like sex and all these things, like they talked about nations and city states in moral terms, right? Like mm -hmm. that's a bad one. Um, and so, right, you we wouldn't want to just say, well, like, you know, the well, I guess the pro abortion Christians are just a different that's their culture, like, but no, we're we're saying that that's a that's a bad part of their culture, and they're you know, we can obviously whatever degree we want to you know we can critique a cult like even if we agree these are things but what we're reflecting on is the reason it's so hard to actually talk about this is because there's such a there's a distance in the ability to communicate and understand as to what we're actually saying right like mm -hmm. when you go to a muslim culture and you're like man there are things bad here that aren't Christian, right? That is true. That's not wrong. But you have to start from grasping the distance in which you are engaged in. Um, hmm. And I think that, to be frank, you know, obviously we're talking about the Democrats here, but what, but to be like, if this is the case, I mean, the majority of conservative Protestants and conservative Catholics are part of one of these two nations. 
right? Like just yep. just to be like very obvious about it. Like, um, and that doesn't mean like again, that doesn't um it doesn't mean that there won't, you know, whether you look at how things get divided, everything's messy, right? Like, you know the generals of the South were being asked by the union to fight for them. And they were like, well, I don't want to fight against my state, even if I don't like, you know, like there was all like, there were all these competing. Are you defending the Confederacy, Matt? No, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, uh, We almost got you. You better look out. You almost did. I mean, you're being recorded election day. Here's the thing. This is, so this brings up my other thought, man. I, I don't think, I think a thing it would be good for us to think about from the reformers is how huge a distaste they had for unrest and revolution. Yeah. Because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Red moon, blood moon and all. But I've just been saying to people that like, dude, if if we get to the end of that night, whenever whenever the restless election day live stream would end, which won't happen. The hypothetical one, right? Whenever, whenever your Daily Wire guys or CNN people you don't watch, you know, whenever they're whenever they're finally going to bed, if we don't like know who won these elections, I am not sure. In general, our civil society can handle that as the result. Like, and and that's a that's bad. Like that it um. That's a that is a, a a sobering thought, uh, because right, I know that right being an election denier is very bad, but also I know right now Democrats are talking about the possible the possibility of election subversion, and I'm like, hey, it's the it's that's the same. You just change the word, like. <laughs> we're both like both parties are going to come up with a theory of stolen elections and they're just going to use different language and they're going to condemn the other language as, as evil. But like, there are such, there is such a, there's so little trust in anything anymore that I, I just think we, yeah, we need to, we need to have a desire more than we do. And I know I don't typically think this way or we need to have more of a desire for like a steady state. Like, yeah. and that revolutionary change is not, is not promoted. Um, and this is actually one of the ways the church can come in. I think okay. is not in, I think that to, read the best intentions into what many folks over at whether it be the gospel coalition or wherever else that talk about how well we don't want to be politically partisan we don't want the church to pick a side we want a church where everybody can get along to try to assume the best intentions there it would be this desire that the church be a place where grace is offered to all sinners that you don't have to check what party you're registered to vote for at the door, that all are welcome to come and hear the gospel, all who uh, would repent 
and trusting Christ uh, would be welcome to the means of grace that he has established. And that, I think, to join alongside, right, to join in with that desire, if it really is there in some places, uh, I think that is a something that the church can be, that we can try to be a more steady voice in the midst of extreme chaos to not just jump into the fray, not because we don't have a side, not because we can't say things like abortion is wicked and evil and to vote for somebody that is radically pro-abortion is wicked, right? Like that's a wicked thing. We can say those things while at the same time uh, making sure to call for peace, to call for um, that kind of steady, self-controlled way of acting in the midst of that chaos. And that being part of the, the witness of the church in the midst of, of chaotic times. And I don't know how that works out exactly. Um, I mean, I'm riding this train with everyone else. It's like, it's difficult, but I do think that there's a way that um, the church can, especially by sticking to just ordinary means of grace ministry, be a much more steady level, um, you know, just kind of a straight way for many to find in the midst of chaotic times. Well, you probably voted by now. Uh, congratulations, Christian citizen. We'd like to thank you from Restless. Uh, we're here for you. We will be back with our normal episode this week. And we hope you rate and review this podcast and join us on Patreon for even spicier content.